0: and mp3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to read, we're coming very close now to the end of this prayer that Jesus teaches us. And so I want to read all of it from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 and following. And so we can get the flow of the prayer and this last request. Our Father, and remember the word in the original there would be Abba, which is akin to our word Daddy, most intimate, most child bonding word. Our Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name. and we are looking at essentially the very last request, but deliver us from the evil one. Some of your Bibles will have deliver us from evil, which is okay, no problem, because evil comes from the evil one. And the the point is that there is, in the original language, the definite article. That word the is there, which if we translate with that definite article, it would mean deliver us either from all kinds and shapes and sizes and expressions and faces of evil, or more possibly deliver us from the evil one. And as I say, it really doesn't matter, because all shapes and sizes and faces of evil spring from the evil one. And, and so that's what we're looking at. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, let, let's say something here. Right here in this, and I emphasize the last request, it speaks of the evil one and a very casual reading of the gospels makes it very plain that jesus believed in and actively opposed this and i really don't know what to call the evil one i i really do not like to call it person person we we are persons and persons made in the image of God, and no, 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 no. If I say person when I'm speaking of Satan or the evil one, I I would have to say a quasi-person, and and therefore I even have a problem saying he, though I use both terms sometimes when it's just ridiculous not to, but um, well, we're dealing here with a creature, a creature, a God's, God-created creature. And I'll leave it at that, the creature. And, and it's the creature that opposes everything we've just been asking. When we say, our Father in heaven, it's this creature, the evil one, that implants thoughts in our mind that says, Are you sure you are? You think you've got a right to say that. And, and of course, he does it so subtly, we think it's our thoughts. But he opposes that. And then we say, hallowed be your name. And and this creature is against everything that that name stands for. Your kingdom come, he opposes that kingdom's coming at every step. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and everything within this creature is opposed. His idea of domain or kingdom is his kingdom of darkness and evil, and his will on earth is for pain and suffering and sin. Give us this day our daily bread, the will of this creature, the active will, is that you shall be reduced to poverty, bankruptcy, and and futility. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This one opposes that by accusing you and making suggestions that penetrate your mind that you are unworthy and no good and unforgiven. So Now, finally, in the very last request, we come and face this creature that has opposed everything that we have been asking, everything that we have declared as being God's intent of love. So, if you didn't believe in Satan before, I would imagine that you have begun to be aware of an opposing will an opposing desire to everything that you have begun to ask in using this prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. What do we mean by evil and evil one? We use the term sometimes very sloppily, evil. Well, what do we, what do we mean by that? What, what is the evil one? Well, as I think I've said, let me say it now, in defining evil, we are talking about the exact opposite, the exact opposite of purpose, of planning, strategy, the exact opposite in terms of desire and of energy that goes forth, the exact opposite to God's purpose and plan and desire, energy and power of his incredible love. The evil one is the exact opposite of the love of God. And also he's described by Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 8 gives us what you might say a character reference and says, he is the liar. And he has been the liar from the beginning, and every word he says is a lie. He cannot speak any other, for he is by his very nature untruth. He is the liar. And therefore, every word that would lodge in our minds from the dark side of evil is a lie. And Every arrangement of circumstances that comes from this creature, the appearances are lies. They only look like. He hides from us what is really happening many times. And then Jesus also, in John chapter 10, describes him. As the destroyer he he comes to destroy that is his agenda, thats his desire. he's always associated with darkness. you can't see, or the other word along with that is blind. you don't know what's going on you're you're blind. And you're confused. And in the darkness and mental, spiritual blindness and confusion, you come up with ideas and uh, conclusions that are lies because you don't see. Maybe a word that is apparent everywhere but not exactly spoken of except in in the word... um, devil, which the word devil, diabolus actually means separator, and, and this comes to, well, everything he touches, he separates, and so his intention, his manifest purpose is to separate mankind from God separate mankind from the truth concerning God, to separate mankind from mankind and set everyone at odds with everyone else. So he's the separator of relationships. He's the separator of families. He is the separator of classes. I mean, Who is it? What is that energy that sets, shall we say, the poor against the rich? What is it that sets man against woman? What is it that that sets the boss against the employee? And uh, I I don't want you to enter into a long discussion. What's behind that word that was spoken? What's behind that look that was given? You come back to Satan, wherever you see separation. Wherever you see an intentional wedge being put between individuals or classes of people, uh, you're, you're dealing straight on with Diabolus, the devil, the evil one. And whoever's behind the action is in cahoots with the evil one. Jesus described him again in John chapter 10 as the thief. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. He comes to steal all of God's gifts right through to life itself. He, he's the one that orders death. He, he, he's the one, that every good gift, the, the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, the fullness of talent and creativity, all God's gifts. He's the thief who comes to steal it or turn it into futility and dead ends and going in circles. One image of this evil one and what he does is in the book of Proverbs and you might have missed it because you have to understand how the ancients, the ancient Hebrews especially, um, wrote when they wrote somewhat in pictures that were understood by everybody. And in Proverbs, you read right from the very first chapter of this seducing woman. And as you're reading it, you might think of this woman as a prostitute on the corner who's luring um, young men into her lair, or you might see it as the unfaithful wife seducing, which of course in the context of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom, it is a jolly good idea to stay away from all those characters, but behind the obvious, what it's saying there, behind that is the Hebrew idea of this creature being the seducer who comes to whisper seducing ideas into the mind, especially in terms of doctrine, especially in terms of religion and and church and denominations. How many, and I don't want to sound anti-intellectual here, but there are pastors listening now, and you can back me up on this, that going to university, going to seminary to study theology in order to be ordained among our most um, prestigious denominations, you go in full of the love of God and faith in his word, and within a year you have met with professors who claim to be expositors of Christian doctrine, who have stripped your faith. They have seduced you. Into a proud, arrogant atmosphere of sneering at those who believe the Scripture to be the Word of God, and they have sucked out of you your faith and your love for God and left you like a beached whale. And then, to add insult to injury, they give you degrees in theology, having taken away from you all knowledge of God to start with. Seducer. Um, you go, you, Yes, you go to a church that does not proclaim the gospel, that proclaims instead a sort of religious humanism, that proclaims your works and, and proclaims your niceness as being your passport into life in God, and you're being seduced. Do you really let me stare you straight in the face and say, you're being seduced? by the prostitute, evil one, coming to lure you away. Evil, the very word, means pain. It means sorrow. It means all forms of cruelty. Where where do torturers get their ideas from? There's some creature, this quasi-person of blackness and darkness, The evil one is behind it all and if I understand the Gospel and rest of New Testament, in fact understand the scripture correctly, sickness, disease is authored by Satan. And that was one of the biggest seductions ever executed on the church to believe that God is the one who delights in making us sick. No, Jesus attacked sickness, and in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it it sort of stamps it forever and says, Jesus went about doing good, healing, as physical healing, all who were oppressed of the devil. And so healing, he separates us from health and wholeness. So it's not only in our spirit. He not only separates us away from God, but he separates us in our mind. He separates us from us, me from me, so that I I can't think right. And all the pills in the world won't change it. Separates in emotions and produces depression and despair and hopelessness. Separates us from health in our body, Satan, the evil one. He's the author of failure. Failure in relationships. Friendships that go nowhere. Failure in marriage. Failure of child and parent and parent and child. Failure of all our dreams that are God-given. Failure of business. Failure. Failure. That's that's who he is. There's no creativity in Satan because he's the author of death. So he's the author, he is the promoter of poverty and futility as well as hatred and malice and revenge. You get the picture and maybe above all as the presence of darkness is felt, it's felt first of all in terms of fear and anxiety and then sheer terror. He is called, as far as titles go, the liar, the deceiver. He's called the serpent and the dragon. Both words evoke a sort of, what, slimy terror. Most normal people shy away from snakes and anything that might come under the heading of dragons. There's something, hypnotic fear about the presence of evil that immobilizes us. There's certain malicious, certain threatening. People are afraid of the darkness, afraid of the demonic. And the scripture says of this evil, one in 1 John 5, he holds the entire world in his lap like some mother of awful, distorted darkness and malicious holding the world like a mother holds a baby and croons of foul, vile words over the child. Scripture describes mankind as being held as prisoners. If you go back into the Old Testament when it's speaking of what Jesus is going to do, it speaks, let me give you just one, in Isaiah 42, verse 7, it says of Jesus, he's going to open blind eyes and to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. That's Satan. He keeps us imprisoned. And then um, over, it it speaks in in detail in chapter 49 of Isaiah um, in in similar fashion uh, of this one who holds us in captivity. Um, It's in Isaiah 49 and verse 25. It says, Even the captives of the mighty... That's Satan it's talking about. The captives of the mighty shall be taken away. The prey of the terrible be delivered. So, this is the human race. Yes, there is a creature, a creature with a worldwide network that is described as princes, principalities, powers, and all the way down to the streets in demonics, It's there. It's all around us. And it was this one that came into Eden and in Genesis chapter 3 is what we call the fall of man. And we've emphasized the sin that came out of that but we missed the point. It was Satan that came into the garden in order to deceive and Seduce Eve away from obedience to love and to enter into the world of darkness and death, and in so doing, in his seduction and lying, stole. Yet Adam was very complicit, but because Adam believed the word of the serpent. And so he gave, Satan seduced, but he receives the authority, it's a big word, that was given to Adam. And once he had authority, he had authority over the planet and over Adam and Eve, who were to be the first ones of this incredible race, who were to be the kings and authorities on earth. But now it's been taken by Satan. That's what it's all about. And Satan rewrote the purpose. He rewrote the script, God's purpose for mankind. And the word sin can be translated as you've missed the blueprint. Sin is is totally missing what God purposed and planned for you and for all mankind. Now, let me quickly say that having said all of this, this evil one is not a god. He's a pretend god. He's a wannabe god, but he is not. He is an angel, an archangel. The opposite of this creature would be Gabriel or Michael, the archangels that we know of. Um but he, he fell from that position because he willed to be as God. So he's not pleased. Don't, don't think of this as a sort of God's on this side, devil's on that side, and there were... No, no, no. If you want to think of this in any... Uh, see a massive light that fills the screen and then put a little dot of blackness over there, that's evil. No, sometimes I... Well, I don't do it anymore. It was a cruel thing to do. But I I used to ask congregations, who is God's opposite? And uh, some poor creature would say, the devil. Uh, And, of course, it's what I wanted them to say, but I realized I embarrassed them, so I don't do it anymore. But uh, who's, who's God's opposite? And people say, the devil? No, he's not God's opposite. God doesn't have an opposite. You understand? He's all in all. He's everything. We're going to get to it probably next week. Yours alone is the kingdom. Yours alone is yours alone is the glory. There's no other kingdom. There's only God. Satan is a creature. He had a beginning. He's limited to his form of creaturehood, and and that's why he needs a lot of demons because he's not everywhere as God is. Uh, and so please understand that he's a creature angel and he came into the world of creatures in Genesis 3 and seduced the human race but before that whole scenarios over you get Genesis 315 the first announcement to the human race of Jesus and it says there that the seed of the woman it says this coming one who shall be birthed of the woman And, of course, in retrospect, we know that saying without a man, a virgin birth. But right there in the very beginnings of time and space, there it was spoken. Seed of the woman shall crush the head of this serpent. And the word head there in the Hebrew language should be translated, though it doesn't make too much sense in English, but crush the headship. That is, the one coming shall strip away the authority that he stole from Adam. And so we move out into our history in chapter 4 of Genesis. And we go with mankind as prisoners of Satan in the darkness and blinded. And they're so blinded and they're in such darkness they don't even know they're prisoners. They think this is life. And immediately there begins this battle in which Satan is intent upon getting rid of the seed of the woman that is going to crush his head. And he knows that somewhere in this human race is that line that shall lead to the birth of this seed of the woman. It begins by inspiring Cain to kill Abel. And... First John makes it plain that Cain did that because he was of, or he was energized and lifed by the evil one. And by the time we end Genesis, we know the seed of the woman is coming through the people called Israel and specifically through the piece of Israel called Judah or the Jew. And, and, and so Pharaoh is stirred up to enslave Israel. And then in Exodus 1, the Pharaoh is stirred up by Satan to kill all male babies. He's after, you see, he's after the seed of the woman. And by the time we move on and we know that this seed is coming through one family of Judah called David, and and so what happens? Saul the king... Arises with spear in hand to kill David and pursues him through most of Saul's reign. He's trying to kill David. Do you understand? And then you get the likes of Esther. I'm jumping over. We, we do um, 20 hours nearly on this in Bible school following all through the Old Testament but, but in the book of Esther I wonder why Esther's there because in that Haman if you remember that character he wanted to wipe out every Jew every person that possibly could be part of bringing the seed of the woman uh, and so you have this but of course it's failure that's the story of the Old Testament total failure and, and Jesus is born and and we've talked about this so often, so let me just slide over this. Who is Jesus? This, I have to say, Jesus. huh? Jesus is God. You see, mankind cannot, under any circumstances, cannot loose himself from the evil one. Cannot come out of the darkness, can't see And the situation that he finds himself in, he doesn't even want to get out because he thinks this is life. So how shall God's purpose of love be fulfilled? Jesus is God, yet God who so entered into our humanness, I mean, he did not just come with a mask on of being human, a sort of pretend human, God in a sort of Halloween human dress. God, God got inside humanness, became a tiny speck in the womb of the Virgin, and over a nine-month period took The very humanness through the Virgin, through her Jewishness, he became God, became human without ever ceasing to be God. But so human that that little fellow running around the house in Nazareth, that little fellow Growing up and learning to be a carpenter didn't know that he was God. For God had so effectively become human that the human he became did not know that he was God. That came to him over the period of his life, in fact, 30 years. He's come, you see, to represent us. Do you get it? I don't mean um, just sort of by vote, I mean God has become one of us and he's become one of us where we are, he's come to us and he's living and growing up and being a carpenter among the peasant folk of Nazareth. He's entered into our world where all the language is of darkness and blindness and foolishness only this one as he grows knows the father he knows he knows that God is really daddy abba and begins to talk of him and he he carves a new pathway that a human being has never, never driven before. A pathway of obedience to the one he loves and calls daddy and knows that that one loves him. He's human. And because he's God, he can represent and stand for and with every human. And as human... He makes deliberate acts of obedience hourly, choosing to be the obedient one. And then he steps on to world stage to be the seed of the woman, to crush the head of the serpent. Don't you understand? As he comes up out of the water under John's baptism, And the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He is a hundred percent man who is now being empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, to fulfill a task as man. And yet his being man is God's most extreme love that he would come and join us, become one of us in order to bring us out of this And the first thing that Jesus did as man is to go into the wilderness and find the devil, the evil one, and confront him eyeball to eyeball. And you have what we just slide over as the temptations of Jesus. But Jesus listened to the strategy and the purpose of Satan and defeated Satan on every point and went out of the wilderness as the very first human to ever say no to Satan. Satan has royally lost round one. By Matthew chapter 12, Jesus reports that he has bound up Satan. As one would bind a strong man so that he can spoil all his goods. What was he spoiling? He was delivering people from satanic bondage. He was forgiving sins. He was healing the sick. He was speaking of a rule of peace and joy. But he's got to go where we are. He's got to enter into death itself. And that's the cross. That's all the horrors that precede the cross. The Bible calls it the ultimate obedience. But he describes it. He didn't say, okay, the temple, you know, the priests are coming to crucify me. They were. But he didn't. That that was neither here nor there to him. Nor did he say the Romans are going to nail me to the cross. They were. But that he doesn't. He said the prince of this world comes. Satan. Satan. The pretend prince who stole the authority now comes. This is it. This is the grand finale. When we are going to go head to head. And what is going to happen is I'll crush the head of the serpent. Strip him of his authority, of his headship. But it will take obeying the father. Why does he obey the Father? Because he loves the Father, trusts the Father's love, and because he is the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to you. He's going to come where we humans are, inside death, inside darkness. He's going to hug us, embrace us, so that our history becomes his history so that his history might become our history he does and he enters into death and satan's bitten off more than he can chew and that's a quote directly from 1st 2nd century preaching and jesus came into death as human being that's it as one of us for us, as us. And in fact, the Bible freely speaks that when he went into death to face Satan, you went in with him. So when Jesus stands before Satan, you stand before Satan in him and with him. And when Jesus stripped Satan of authority, and when the Father stripped Satan of authority... He lost his authority over you. And the Father raised him from the dead. And you get that that's mentioned in Scripture, though hardly talked about by the church, which is the ascension of Jesus. That's when he stepped into the other half, the invisible half of the universe. And it's described in Daniel 7, which would take another hour, but enough to say it describes, in very picturesque language, it, de- it describes the high court of creation. It describes the supreme judge of all creation as the ancient of days, the unbegun, unending Father. And it says, Coming to him now was one like the Son of Man, Jesus. It's describing the ascension. And the Father ruled And when the Father rules, there's not a demon that can stand against it. The Father ruled in favor of Jesus and gave to him all authority over all peoples and all nations and all creation. And Jesus came back into the visible half of the universe and announced in Matthew 28, All authority is given to me in heaven and upon earth. And then he said, to us, you go now in my name, in my given authority. Or as the New Testament explodes on us, saying, Jesus, Son of God, was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Or maybe a better rendering of that would be, the Son of God was made manifest to render inoperative Satan's works. Or that through death he might render inoperative, destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Or the words of Jesus, I am he who lives. I was dead. a beam to the pit of death. Behold, I'm alive. And I'm alive forevermore. And I now have the keys, the authority, over death and the grave. And you were, are, in him. Do you realize that locked in union with Jesus, you, you, listen to me, you now say, I am he who lives. Jesus could say that out of his own action. We say that because we were in him And he now in us, and it's our gift. We say by gift, I am he who lives. I was dead. Yes, yes. He rescued me out of the domain of death. And look at me, look at you. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And I now have been delivered the authority to act in the authority of Jesus in His name. Oh yeah. The Bible's full of the devil, but it's full of a defeated devil. And here it says, Deliver us from the evil one. The word deliver there is a unique word. I'm not. Sure, I, I'm almost sure that this word is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. A very unique word for sure, a very old word. You go to your average dictionary of the New Testament, it won't even be there. So, what does it mean? Well, it means to save, it means to rescue someone, but its uniqueness is to rescue them as from water yeah i, I know it it's it's almost to rescue someone from drowning but but it, it means that you draw them out of that water It's as if the water is delivering them and you to you and and you deliver them from the water you draw them out there there is An illustration of this, and I'm pushing it, I'll agree, but it's there. You see, the word Moses, you know, the name Moses in Exodus, do you know what that word means? It means to draw out. Why so? Well, if you remember, the mother of Moses, a, a Jewish woman, she put little Moses when he was a few months old into an ark made of bulrushes and, and she floated it on the river Nile and pushed it off into the current. Let, let God take this little babe where he will and save it from the soldiers who would kill the baby. Well, understand this. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile. As far as the Egyptians were concerned, the Nile was possessed of their god. And all the creatures in the Nile, the frogs and the fish and the alligators and everything were worshipped as gods because it was of the Nile. And so, although Jochebed, the mother of Moses, didn't believe that, she is putting the little babe in the ark and and is being carried by what the Egyptians understood to be their god, or one of their gods. And the princess... Of Pharaoh's court sees this little bulrush floating on what she worshipped as God. And she heard a baby cry. And she goes and she draws Moses out of the Nile. And for the want of better, she called him little drawn out Moses. Do you realize, now that's an illustration and I'm pushing it a bit there, to say that this word here is like to that. It isn't that's Hebrew slash Egyptian and and this is Greek, but it's like it. That Jesus, in what I've just described his doing, in his resurrection, and he had you in his arms when he resurrected He drew you out of the demon God's clutch. He drew you out from the world of darkness and alligators and frogs and every unclean thing and carried you with him to the Father, delivered you. You share in his resurrection. You share in his ascension. That's what it is to be a Christian. And Satan's relationship to you right now is the same as his relationship to Jesus. Satan is under your feet. You've been drawn out, delivered to be far above all principalities and powers in every name that is named in this world and the world to come. Delivered. And so what is the gospel? The gospel is that we go into this world of darkness. Acts 26.18 is the mandate that was given to the Apostle Paul. This is what you're to do, says Acts 26.18, is you are to open their eyes so that they may turn from Satan to God, from darkness to light, to receive the forgiveness of sins and the inheritance of those who are set apart to God. Open their eyes, so that. Meaning, once their eyes are open, they will see what I've just said. They will see that Jesus has carried them out of the clutches of Satan. Open their eyes so they can see the prison doors open. Walk out. You're free. You can turn from Satan to God any time you want. Get out of here. Turn from the darkness to light. You can because the Deliverer has stripped the evil one of his authority. And you can walk out free. And it's the gospel. I just gave you the gospel. That was the last 10 minutes. It's what Jesus did. Tell them the gospel. That will open their eyes. And when they see, I'm free. I'm not free because I'm so strong. I'm free because he loved me and gave himself for me, carried me out from death. He drew me out, you see. delivered me. I could talk a lot on this verse. I don't think I'm going to maybe. You see, after what I've just said, I spent a long time talking about the sort of background to this. But after all of that, and after all these requests, I mean, I'm saying here, I'm a child of God. I call God creator of heaven and earth. I call him daddy. I, I have free access to heaven. All the possible of God's love, all the potential of God's love. That's where I sit down to talk to Daddy. I can talk about his kingdom coming, I, I talk about his will being done, I give thanks to him for daily provision, and so on and so on. Really and truly, well, I wouldn't expect Satan to be around. I, after what I just told you about the resurrection and the ascension, and after we've looked into this prayer, what on earth are we doing saying, deliver us from the evil? one"? I thought he was old history. Not supposed to be here, this creature. Ah, this is where we could spend a long time. See, Jesus didn't come like a plumber to fix your sink and then leave. Uh, to to hear some people talk, I would think he did. You know, he came and Jesus saved hey, he that's he, he saved me. And then he went back to heaven. That's it. And he left a bill saying, Do the jolly best and you know, work at good works and see if we can make this work. No, please, erase that. That's not true. Jesus didn't come merely to do something for you. Jesus is God uniting himself to you forever. So that where he is forever, that's where you'll be. So when he did all of this, he didn't do it for you merely. I mean, you can bring that in in a a while, but he did that as you. He did that united to you. So now, He is the head in the heavens at the right hand of the Father. But we are His body, His hands, His feet, His activity among humans. We are that, as united to Him organically as my head and body and brain are one. In everything the head is, that the hands and feet and organs and liver and toes are. You understand? You are the body of Christ. And so, yes, everything I've just said, He has done. But that is now going to be implemented and enforced upon earth by you, His body. You and I are going to now stand before the evil and the darkness in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of which every knee must bow. And we are going then to dismiss the evil, bind it up, announce and enforce that it has been rendered inoperative. And we're going to manifest on this earth the defeat of evil, and bring into people's lives the deliverance that already is theirs. And We're going to walk in this world, not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. And when we come up against evil, we are living from this request. And you see, there are some times. I mean, we live in the midst of evil all the time. But there are times. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of the evil day. Or you might say there are days. We might say every day has its evil. But then there are days. The evil day. David called it the valley of the shadow of death itself didn't say that's not death don't read that at funerals that's not death it's the shadow of death the cold threatening malicious malignant shadow of death David spoke of in the day that I am afraid oh yeah you know these days It seems you're engulfed in lies that are shot like flaming arrows into your head. All the appearances in life would say you're not his child. In that day, the evil day, understand what this prayer is. We, uh, this prayer is making an appeal. And of course, this appeal works in a microsecond. You make appeal to the high court of creation. We're saying to the Father. And we're not doing it hostile or belligerent or threatening. We are saying to the Father. And we're saying to the Father in that we're saying the same thing as the Father that on the day of Jesus' ascension, the high court of all creation declared Satan stripped of authority and all authority invested in Jesus and in you, his body. So we say, deliver us from the evil one because what the evil one is doing is illegal. It's the lie of lies. See that's all he's got, that's all that Satan has in, e- in even these the, the terrible days. That the real pressure that is on is all lies, usually lies to us concerning where God is at that time. You know I don't know if you, you do any fishing, ever done any fly fishing? You have to be an expert liar to be a fly fisher. You know what it is? You you, you cast the rod and at the, the end of the line there is, I was going to say, a fly. But of course it's not, is it? It, it can be a feather, it, anything that sparkles. Anything that a fish might think. Anything that looks like a fly. And you skim that lying fly across the top of the water. And and, and the, the the fish think it is a fly, and they jump to catch it, only there's a hook buried in the fly. And you catch a fish, because you lied to the flesh. You get it? That's Satan. Now, I don't mean fly fishing is satanic. <laughs> It's a good illustration, though, that we're caught. A lying appearance, a lying word, a lying situation. And it looks, and it, we think it, and, and we fall into despair because of it. We're hooked on the lie. Or the Bible says that Satan goes about like a roaring lion, Seeking whom he may devour. I only half understood that until I went to Africa. And I'll never forget one night we had been far out and were now driving back to camp. And by this time it was very dark. A- and we happened upon a herd of zebra. And here we are in an open-top, open-sided Humvee sitting on little chairs. Our driver has driven into this herd of of zebra by accident. But we're we're now going to drive through them. And suddenly I heard a noise that I've never heard before. It was the roar of a lion. I mean, the earth trembled. It was the most terrifying sound I've heard. And add that to the dark night. Terrifying. Satan is as a roaring lion. But I also found out in that time that the lion that roars is really the wimp you understand, the lion, old man lion, doesn't do the hunting. He just roars. And the effect was all the zebra, all the herd of them that were all around us, they go crazy. They too are terrified and begin to stampede. All of their alertness and normal watchfulness is all thrown to the wind. They're ter- they're going to get away from the roar, and then suddenly, on either side of our humvee, there were three, four over here, two over there, lionesses, and that's not a nice feeling either. They are the killers. They come to these animals terrified by the roar and I realized they'd been waiting up ahead and at the roar the uh, zebra ran into the lionesses who were waiting and they leaped on the backs of the straggling zebras the weakest, though those at the end of the stampede the slowest and, and, and well I won't tell you what happened next they, they killed them wrote them down and suddenly that text took on a whole new meaning the roaring lion, Satan he's doing all he can do now the roar of the lion there is the presence of evil there's something awful hypnotic threatening, menacing, cold as if in the very presence of death there's an energy to evil. You're wrong. But all, all, and of course, at the time we, many times would be threatened. But of course, that's all part of his satanic strategy. That you do what the zebra did. You're possessed by fear, fear, anxiety, you. Crash into the world of if only, if only I hadn't or if only I had and leap into the future of what if, what if supposing I, I'm, I'm, I'm blind, I'm lost now I, I, I've forgotten everything I've forgotten the gospel I, the roar of the lion the present, all Satan can do is two things, he can lie to you And with that lie is this hypnotic, threatening energy that you'd better believe this. And the second thing, create fear. Scare you. They would have gone into the land of Canaan except the ten spies who came back reported what they'd seen. And it looked like The inhabitants of the land, these gigantic creatures that lived there, were ready to crush them like insects. And they were scared out of their wits and they said, we can't go. And the people believed and the people joined in their fear because fear is as contagious as measles and... The whole camp was weeping and wailing, and they turned and they went into the wilderness for 40 years. Only to find out 40 years later those creatures in Canaan were not about to crush them like insects. They were afraid of them. But they lost their inheritance because they were afraid. And that's why I say again, right back to just coming into Christ, coming to the gospel, open your eyes, and then you can see I can walk away from Satan. He's, only, he's a toothless lion. All he can do is roar. And then he has millions of fear and scare tactics and makes you do things totally inconsistent with who you are in Christ. What do we do when the lion roars? We appeal to the high court of creation. We say that in the heavens Satan has no authority by the edict of the ancient of days. And therefore we on earth in his name and in his person we forbid it. And we bring about the inoperative That is, the power of the resurrection, the power of the ascension. We command Satan. And we do that with praise. Let me read. And I think we're going to be back next week. I really do. But um, let let me read to you. You know this. But let me do it anyway. It's in Psalm number 8. He says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength or established strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Do you remember Jesus quoted this verse in Matthew 21? Only he changed it. He said, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have established or ordained Praise. Jesus said the strength of the heavens is praise. And he said, little babes, those who feel they've got no strength, those who are hardly in Christ, those who hardly know which way is up, you're babes in Christ. But he said, I've established praise in your mouth because of the enemies of God the evil one. So because of the evil one, God gets a kick out of putting almighty praise in the mouth of a babe. Can you imagine a babe can silence the enemy? He says that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And that word silence in the Hebrew If you're into boxing, it means the knockout punch. Silence just doesn't mean shut him up. Silence means he's laying flat on his back on the canvas and he won't be around for a while. They'll have to help him to the corner and try and revive him. That's what it means. It says praise is the knockout punch to the enemy. And so we say deliver us from evil. And in that... We are giving praise. In the saying of that, we are giving praise to the ascended Jesus at the right hand of the Father and declaring Satan has no authority here. And that's where I'm going to leave it. I may continue this next week. I may not. But I think, I think I've given you enough to chew on for a week. And so now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, His blessing be in your life this week, opening your eyes to see and educate your spirit as to who you really are, that with your mouth filled with praise, you might discover the total defeat of the enemy in your life and those around you. So I bless you this day and declare that is the way it is. Amen.